Welcome to It's All About the Questions, where learning to ask the right questions can help you achieve lifelong success. Now, here to help you ask all the right questions is award-winning author, international speaker, and business strategist, Laura Stewart. Good morning, afternoon, and evening, everyone, wherever you're listening from around the world, whether it's locally here in Vero Beach, Florida, on Waxy AM FM, or on iHeartRadio in the United States, or perhaps you are listening to this on the top-rated podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and we also go to podcasts on iHeartRadio. Several other places where you can find me, including um, it's all about the questions.com. We love your feedback. We love your questions because remember the show is called It's All About the Questions for a Reason. Questions can make a difference in your business and in your life. You just have to remember that it's the right questions that can change things. Most of us ask questions to get the answers that we want not the answers that we need. So I bring my guests on my show so that they can expose you to different ideas, different topics, different perspectives, which often change the questions that you ask and the people that you ask them of. So today I have um, John Livesey. He is known as the pitch whisperer. I don't know about you, but I am hooked on watching Shark Tank. I have watched it for years uh, since I think pretty much the first season it ever came out. Uh, I talk about them in my book, What Would a Wise Woman Do? Questions to Ask Along the Way. And I love watching the pitch and then the questions that come from the sharks. But, you know, the Shark Tank is not the only way to get your business idea funded. And what you see on Shark Tank is what happens after somebody has put together their pitch. But how do you put together that pitch, that successful pitch that gets people to want you, to want to fund you? John Livesey is known as the Pitch Whisperer. He has a successful podcast called The Successful Pitch. It's um, one of the top podcasts around. And he is here with us today. So, John, thanks for joining the show. Laura, thanks for inviting me. It's going to be a fun session. I love what you said about asking the right questions, and being prepared for the questions that investors are going to ask you after your pitch. It, it always amazes me on, on Shark Tank. We'll just use it as an example. It's very popular. It's become a mm-hmm. cultural icon. And, you know, they have their different version in Canada and different parts of the world. But here in the U.S., it's, it's Shark Tank. It amazes me when they can't answer what I consider basic business questions from the sharks, you know, like what are your numbers? (laughs) You know, what's your cost of customer acquisition? All Mm -hmm. these basic things that it's not like it's the first time the show's ever been seen. You know, (laughs) if you've done your research, what they're going to ask. Why is it that you think so many people looking for funding can't answer the questions? Getting rid of the whole idea of, oh my God, I'm being seen in front of millions of people and I, I just panic. Right. Well, I think it goes back to one of the first questions you have to ask yourself before you get in front of investors, whether it's on TV or not, which is, am I prepared? Have I done my homework? Those are the first things that people who are successful ask themselves and do the work because Arthur Ashe has a great quote. He says, the key to success is confidence and the key to confidence is preparation. So there's been some people who've done really well on Shark Tank who've watched every episode, written down what each of the judges tends to specialize in, the types of questions they're going to ask, and practices. All that's the differentiation between being great and getting a no. So what makes 
a great pitch. Uh, maybe we need to step back from it. What makes a great sure. idea? <laughs> <laughs> well, a great idea is something that intrigues people, and the same thing is the answer to what makes a great pitch. It gives, it intrigues people enough to say, hmm, that's interesting, tell me more. So that's what a great idea does. It's like, oh, I should be able to understand it. Um, a good pitch is based on a good idea, but a good pitch is concise, compelling, and clear so that you pull people in, ideally with a story. It's short. They don't have to listen to you talk for 20 minutes to understand what it is you're doing, and they don't get confused. So, But a good idea, at the end of the day, is solving a problem that has a big enough market that an investor could make their money on. That's what the investors are looking for. Is there a number that the investor is looking for to increase their investment? I would say the rule of thumb is most investors are looking to get a three to five return on their investment in three to five years. So if they're going to give you just easy math, $100,000, they would like to get $300,000 in three to five years when somebody big buys you. So it, is it always a buy they're looking for you to sell it or not? That's the... Yeah, that's 90% of the, quote, successful exits where the investors get their money back. Sometimes something like a Snapchat can go public and the investors get their money back that way. But for the most part, it's getting bought by somebody else. Okay, so if you're not looking to start a business that you're going to sell in three to five years, then you really should not be looking for in investors? Or is that an incorrect? Correct. Okay, so... No, that's absolutely right. <laughs> You know, investors hear about 2,500 pitches in a year and fund 25, uh, 1%, and 24 of those come from a warm introduction. Um, and it's, you know, if you're starting, if you need money to make a movie or um, start a bakery yeah, that you want to keep in your family for generations, there's other ways to get funding, but it's not the typical startup funding route of an angel investor or even crowdfunding. So it's more like getting a loan? Pretty much, yes. Okay. Or an investor to own part of the movie, which could potentially share in the profits and all that stuff, yes. All right. So, But at the, it, in a movie situation, there is a sale of the movie at the end. So the movie is released, and then they're getting yes. profits. Yes, okay. theoretically, right. Okay. Mm-hmm. But it's very, that's not the typical investors that invest in startups. Um, that typically tend to be tech-oriented. All right, those are more like you would see on Broadway or they're mm-hmm. angels yeah. that just want to yeah. have their name uh, associated with something because they think it's going to be a good investment. Un- unlike yes. the, the movie The Producers where everybody right. invests and they try to make a flop. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, that was it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And to me, it's all about that is the perfect pitch. Mm-hmm. The movie, the producers, the way they did that at the beginning and got everybody to invest. Yes, it's uh, quite clever. All right, so how does somebody go about deciding, okay, I've got my business, I, I have my idea, my blue ocean, my whatever it might be, this is the be-all, the end-all, it's the next hula hoop, right, mm-hmm. that'll come out, and it's just going to go viral. How do they decide if they're going to pitch to investors or maybe do crowdfunding via 
Kickstarter mm. or one of the other ones? Well, you know, most people, um, it all depends on how much money you need, right? And whether you're in technology or not is a big factor uh, around that. So let's break that down a little bit. You know, typically people bootstrap, which means they're, you know, paying for it themselves out of their own savings and people working there aren't taking a salary just to see if they have what they call proof of concept. One investor said to me, if you're selling dog food, I want to see the dogs eating the food. So um, you need to get somebody to say, you know what, I'm going to change what I'm doing and I would use this product when it becomes available. That's what the crowdfunding is so good for, is saying, oh, you know, I'll give you money now, and then if this is available, if you raise enough money, then I will get this new product. Um, you know, some people use um, rewards crowdfunding, which is what Kickstarter and Indiegogo is, to try and fund their CD or something along those lines. But if you're trying to do a startup that's going to scale, then equity crowdfunding is the way to go. And one company uh, I think is doing a great job of that is called Dream Funded. And the laws changed last May where you don't have to be, quote, an accredited investor and be worth a million dollars, not including your house, in order to invest in startups. So now um, equity crowdfunding lets anybody um, invest as little as $100 or 1000 or whatever it is you want to do um, to help startups that normally wouldn't get in front of investors because they didn't have the right connections. You've done a lot of... Uh, work with entrepreneurs who get funding. What's up? And I just got that high sound. I was so involved in the conversation. I wasn't paying attention to Mr. B. We have 30 seconds to commercial. Okay. (laughs) So we'll be right back, everyone, with more from John Levesay talking about the successful pitch. He is the pitch whisperer. And if you want to get funded for your new dream, your new business idea, John, when we come back from the break, is going to talk about how to start crafting that successful pitch. We'll be right back. Let's jump right in to what is the whole process, right? So somebody has this great idea, and now they need to be putting together all the pieces to get ready to pitch a funder. Now, obviously, part of that's going to be how do they find the funders. But what's after you've got the idea, what does an entrepreneur need to begin doing to craft that pitch? Well, two big questions that investors have when they listen to you pitch that you need to start answering right away is why you and why now? In other words, why are you uniquely qualified to execute this idea? So you need to be talking about that in your team slide. Um, the investors tell me all the time, we invest in the jockey, not the horse. So a big mistake people make if they're given 10 minutes to pitch is taking five minutes giving a product demo, when that's really not what the investor wants to hear. They want to hear your story of origin. How'd you come up with the idea? How'd you come up with the name? Did you personally experience this problem that you're solving, and that's why you're so passionate about it? Uh, what's your background that makes you uniquely qualified to execute this? And then why now? What's going on in the world that makes this the perfect time, that you're not too early or too late. For example, Uber wouldn't work if we all didn't, the majority of us didn't have smartphones. Or Airbnb would never have worked if the economy back in 2008 wasn't in trouble and open to new ideas about how to get money from renting out their room or their whole place to a stranger. So the why you and why now is the first step. So you need to really work on a really great opening that tugs at the heartstrings so people open their purse strings. 
So that's the first place to really start thinking about, okay, what am I going to say that's going to make my story meaningful and answer those two questions of why I'm uniquely qualified and why now is the perfect time? You know, they sound like such simple questions on the surface, but I would imagine, even from my own experience working with some friends that have startups, those two questions are really hard to answer. They are. You have to, you know, um, and, and you have to answer them and not, you know, expect the uh, investor to ask you those questions. It, those questions should be answered in your pitch. Um, so when you're talking about your team and why you're, you, need, you know, you need to talk about that. When you're talking about um, the market size and um, why now it's so important and even when you're talking about your competition, because that's a big question people are concerned about. What's your barrier to entry from a competitor getting funded before you and taking over this idea? So you need to not only be as knowledgeable about your own product and the market, but what you need to be as knowledgeable uh, as what as what your competition is doing and what makes you unique and why you have a little bit of um, headway, whether it's a patent or um, technology that's taken a couple of years to get developed that people would you know take a long time to catch up to you on. And there's really... Go ahead. No, you go ahead. I, you know, I found the reason people call me the pitch whisperer is um, I help people not only with their pitch, but I help them go from invisible to investable. And um, one of the best ways to do that is answering some unspoken questions that people will never say to you, but they have in their head uh, when they're listening to your pitch. And the first one they have is, do I trust you? And that's a gut thing. And that's, you know, the fight or flight response, right? When we meet anybody, it's like, do I trust you? Do I have to run away? Do you have a... And that's what the handshake was for, to show you didn't have a weapon. So you need to build up trust by your credibility and looking people in the eye and being confident. And then it moves up to the heart, which is the next question people have in their head is, do I like you? You know, if I'm going to give you money, I'm going to be working with you for quite a while. And um, are you likable? And the best way to increase your likability is through showing empathy, putting yourself in the other person's shoes. So the more you can think about what the investor cares about and wants to hear, the more they're going to like you. And they're really evaluating whether you're coachable or not. Because if you're defensive when they ask you a question, they're going to just pass. Um, and then it moves up to the head. And the investor is thinking, will this work for me personally? How does this fit into the rest of the investments I have? Do I have something like it or not? Um, do I see that I'm going to get a return on my investment in a short time or a long time? But first you have to build trust and likability before you can start addressing things like, will this work for you? Now, when you're, trying, when you're building up that trust and that likability, in the average pitch session to a funder, mm -hmm. that's how long? How long do you... 10 minutes. Do you, 10 Usually minutes. you have a 10-minute pitch and a 10-minute Q&A. So it's not and, a lot of time uh -uh. to do all those things, which is why there's you. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I help people, you know, come across those, you know, with those soft skills of likability and trust being built up as you're speaking. Um, and the best way to do that is becoming a storyteller. Plato said storytellers rule the world. So the more you can tell a story versus, quote, selling yourself, which is when you sell something, you're pushing your message out, like a TV commercial or an ad in a magazine. It's interrupting your experience of the content. But when you tell a story, you pull people in. And people go, oh, this might be interesting. This might be entertaining even. And you're 
accessing the right side of people's brains where imagination goes. And so if you say words like imagine what it'll be like or picture this, then you start painting a picture. You need to, you know, explain your vision in a way that people um, get excited about it and see your passion and not talk about all the numbers and how something works from a technical standpoint until you get into um, the Q&A part. But when you're pitching, it should all be about why you, why now, why you're the right, you know, that you're likable and trustworthy um, and you have a great story that makes them want to know more. All right. So you've crafted this pitch. You've thought about what's going on in the investor's head. You've sort of taken your own emotions a step away from yourself, right? So you're you're looking at things realistically, but you're letting your emotions be there, but not controlling you in the pitch. What happens if they say no? Do you just walk away or do you pitch again? Oh, well, if they say no, um, usually they'll say no because. Rarely do people just say, it's a no. It's a no because I already have something like this. It's a no because I don't believe in your vision. It's a no because you don't have traction. It's something. Um, so you anticipate those questions. It goes back to what we said. You prepare for the types of objections that people have. I have a formula that I give people when they give an objection, which is def- different than just a no. Uh, an objection can be, mm, I want to think about it, or I'm not sure because of this. And you could say, look, I could understand how you feel that way. Other investors felt that way at first. And what they found is once they really take a look at our business plan or talk to some of our customers, they understand why we have something really great here and they want to invest. So it's called feel, felt, found. I understand how you feel. Other people have felt that way. It's active listening. You're not making them wrong. And then you take them on the journey of other people found that we really are the right place to put their money. I see so often on Shark Tank when people start saying no, you can see the panic in the eyes. And I know it's editing, right? Because they're, they're editing, yeah. looking for certain things. So you don't even know if their reaction is to that moment, right? It could have been something that wasn't even on camera. That right. um, you know that they showed on TV. It was filmed, but not used. Um, mm-hmm. What is something that um, when you're pitching, as we go into the news break, what's something somebody you should prepare for? Like, how do you prepare yourself for that no or objection? Well, I think it goes back to really understanding what the investors are looking for. And you try to answer as many of those things as you can to handle the objections before they bring it up. So if you know they're going to ask you how much does it cost to get a new customer, you talk about that in your pitch. We've gotten the cost of acquisition down from $5 to $1, and we anticipate that going down another 50 cents in the next two months or whatever it is. So it's all about preparation and asking the right questions beforehand. We'll be right back with more of John Livesey, and we'll find out how you learn to say, to hear the yes. We'll be right back. Joining us live to the, for the second half of It's All About the Questions, welcome. If you've been listening on the podcast, you didn't even get to hear the news or the commercials or anything. We just go right into the second half of the show. We are here with John Livesey, who is known as the Pitch Whisperer. He is a pitch mentor at Startfast.net, number one accelerator in upstate New York, He hosts the Successful Pitch Podcast with investors from around the world. So I highly recommend everybody go um, subscribe to the podcast, The Successful Pitch. If you are looking to get funded, if you've already been funded and want to get more funding or keep your funders, 
Um, during the break, John and I were talking, and he said one thing that I, well, everything he said so far has been awesome, but he said, we're pitching all the time. You need to get that you're pitching all the time. It's just different kind of things. So, John, let's let's take that that we were talking about during the commercial break about your pitching all the time. What do you mean sure. by that? <laughs> well, you have to pitch. If you're a startup, you have to pitch to get people to join your startup versus another startup. So you have to you know have a vision and in a way that makes people who have a lot of talent that you're trying to recruit want to join your startup. And then once you have your team, you have to, you know, pitch to get customers. And, you know, if you're trying to just get a job, you have to pitch yourself to get hired or you have to pitch your ideas to get implemented or you certainly typically have to pitch yourself to get promoted. And then, of course, you have to pitch yourself to get funded. So the more you understand the skills of being a good storyteller when you pitch, you're going to be using it all the time. What is it about storytelling that shifts things from I'm selling to I must do business with you? Mm. Well, that's the um, irresistible level. You know, I talk about, um, you know, selling and storytelling. I say forget selling and tell stories instead. Um, I have people go on this ladder. uh, It's very similar to dating. So at first you're invisible. Um, at a party, nobody, you see somebody you're attracted to, but they don't even know you're around, um, and you have an idea in your head, well, you're invisible to investors. And then you move up the ladder to insignificant, and for most people in the dating world, that's even more painful. They see you, but they're <laughs> not interested. And from an investor standpoint, maybe you have a couple people on your team, but you haven't really tested to see if anybody wants to buy this product, so it's doing. Then you get up to the interesting level, and that's, in a dating situation, maybe you say something that's funny or interesting, and they're like, oh, I might start talking to you, but I'm still not going to go out with you. And the dating and the investing world, you know, now you've got some little bit of traction. The investors are interested in hearing your pitch. And that's why I tell people, you have to be, at least be at the interesting level for me to help you. And then we move up to the intriguing level. And, of course, um, now you've got somebody leaning into what you're saying because you're telling a great story usually. Um, and I've literally had people say, "That's I'm intrigued, tell me more. And then you get up to the investable level where you literally become irresistible. And I'm using the Shark Tank analogy again, you get multiple offers from the sharks. I interviewed Charles Michael Yim, who got multiple offers for his uh, product that was pre-revenue. Um, you would breathe into something to see if your alcohol level would tell you whether you should drive or not. And I asked him, you know, how did you get all that irresistible, all those offers? And he said, everything I talk about is through the problem-solution lens. So when he would tell a story, he would paint a picture of someone who had this problem. They'd been partying, and they didn't know if they should drive or not, if they thought they could. And gosh, wouldn't it be great if they could just know for sure if they sh- what their blood alcohol level was so they wouldn't risk their lives on anyone else's. So he constantly painted that picture of, there's a huge need, and if you invest in me, um, I can execute this. I've done other startups successfully, and not only are you going to make a lot of money, but you're going to help save lives. Well, that's what causes the irresistible part. You're tugging at the heartstrings to get them to open their purse strings. I love the, that one thing, and this is a, a question I want to throw out to my listeners. Tweet it out, talk about it, but most of all, sit down with yourself. Now, if you're driving your car, please do not do this on paper. You know, unless you pull over, feel free to think about it in your head. Do you know your problem-solution lens? 
I know a lot of you out there really don't know what problem you solve and what the solution is, how you fit in with that. And this is a, John's given us a number of great questions so far on the show on how you can help yourself figure out your problem solution lens. Are you looking at everything you're doing through that? I love that, John. Mm, good. Well, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, how do you prepare to hear the yes? And I always work with my clients on you have to have a really great opening and a really great close. You know, most people will end their pitch and just say any questions, and that is a horrible closing. Normally, a great question to ask that's a great way to close is, would you like to join me in not only making a great return on your investment, but making an impact in the world? That's a great closing question. Okay, say that one more time. Sure. Would you like to join me in not only making a great return on your investment, but making an impact in the world? I love that. That is such a a brilliant question. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads me to, you know, like another part about the, you know, prepare to hear the yes. Mm -hmm. Once you've gotten a yes, it may not sound like the yes you think you want. You, You know, you might get one offer, you might get no offers, the offers might be different than what you expected them to be. What piece of advice can you give to my listeners for that moment? The minute somebody says, I'm in, stop talking. You've made the sale. You don't have to go, oh, but I need to tell you one more thing about our features. No, no, no. Stop talking. Thank you. Look forward to working with you. Let's get into due diligence, right? The minute, because you will talk yourself out of the sale. The minute you get, you're interviewing for a job and they say, you're, okay, we'd like to make you an offer, stop talking. Fantastic, right? <laughs> don't keep selling yourself. Okay, so you've stopped they, talking. said yes. Mm-hmm. And... They're going to make you an offer, and the offer is not what you wanted it to be. Mm. Well, then you're in negotiation, right? That's, that's uh, you know, then it's totally fair to say, would you consider meeting me halfway? I was asking for $500,000, you are offering two hundred. can we meet at three fifty? That's totally uh, acceptable. Is that some of the work that you work with your clients on is not only preparing for the pitch, getting to that storytelling, building their confidence and their elevator pitch, so to speak, but once you got the yes and it's not exactly what you wanted, how to negotiate? Absolutely, yeah. Typically in the real world, (laughs) uh, as opposed to Shark Tank, you go into due diligence and that can be anywhere from 45 to 60 days. And my goal is to get you multiple offers from multiple investors so you have some leverage and some negotiation. And typically that's different investing groups in different cities even. Um, and then the investors you know, have a fear of missing out. And they start selling you on why you should in, take their money versus another company, that, another angel group that wants to invest in you. But I'll tell you, one of the questions that most people get that they're completely unprepared for Laura, is, well, who's going to fund your next round? So let's say we give you $700,000. Excuse me. You are going to hit certain milestones in the next year. Then what? You're going to need more money. And this is where the strategy comes in that I've really worked on. And I tell them, I introduce them to investors I know who fund the next round. And they said, oh, well, I've talked to a venture capitalist. And they, you know, are very interested in what I'm doing and are interested in funding the next round once I get this angel seed round done. Well, that makes the angel investors really happy because you've got a strategy in place, you've got a relationship in place, and that separates you from a lot of other people who don't 
think ahead, almost like chess, right? You want to be two two plays ahead. Okay, so for my audience who may not be familiar with the different kinds, I've had some different VC people on, but difference mm-hmm. between an angel, a VC, and another type of investor? Sure. Uh, well, there's friends and family, which is, um, you know, your friends who give you money uh, to start. And then an angel investor typically run, invests in people who don't have revenue yet, anywhere from $100,000 up to a million. And then once you've gotten that, quote, seed round funded, um, you've got some traction, you get some customers, and you have revenue. Once you have revenue, then you start talking to venture capitalists who can invest anywhere from a million up. And there's different levels of rounds and how much they get in each round. How many rounds typically does somebody need? Oh, gosh. Uh, well, they call them by letters. There's the Series A round, Series B, Series C. You know, some of the bigger companies like Uber, they're, you know, way down the alphabet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And is that because they're they're not producing enough revenue to keep uh, the no, business going? No, they just going? need the money to keep scaling and scaling. <clears throat> the valuation keeps going up, so the investors want to keep giving them more money to keep growing the company. Which, of course, I, I'm starting to laugh and in, in, in myself thinking of the producers where they sold over 100%. At, at what point does that investing get so diluted that mm. there's really not that much value? When do you know to pull back and say no? Well, that's a great question because a lot of people make that mistake and give away too much equity so that they don't even own 50%. They, you know, then, then, then the people who are on the board of directors can fire the founder because they control the company. So you have to really be careful um, on how much equity you give away at every stage. Is that something that you help people with, or is there somebody yeah. else they need to talk mm-hmm. to to figure that part out? No, we, we, I help people f- with all that, yeah, making sure that the strategy is in place. And the earlier the money, the more you, equity you have to give up because the risk is higher. It's very easy to invest in something that's off and running. There's not a lot of risk in investing in you know something that's generating a lot of revenue. It's so therefore, you get less equity. But when you are upfront and new, you get a bigger percent because your risk is higher. So there's a whole sliding scale. And then I would think that depending on the level of the investor you're getting, if like on the Shark Tank, people want them because they get so much visibility that they're available to other kinds of investors as well going forward. And they're Good, social and, proof. Yes, yeah. you've got Kevin Harrington, who I interviewed on the successful pitch on your advisory board or board of directors, and people think, oh, well, he, he's certainly been successful. He hears lots of pitches. He must see something that uh, makes me comfortable joining. So they, you've been vetted if you get some big name into your, yeah. your group. And also, not only a good investor will give you their money, they'll give you their connections and help you, you know, get more clients or get distribution or whatever their specialty is. Okay. When we come back, let's talk about how you decide who you go to to find the right investor. Like, who is the perfect investor for your business? When we come back with John Livesey. So, John, before the break, I asked, I said we were going to talk about how do you find that investor? How do you know who the right investors are to try to pitch? Well, finding the right investor starts with you deciding what your culture is. And much like you're you know, vetting someone to join your team, you need to vet the investor and see, are they someone who's micromanaging or are they going to leave you alone? Um, do they believe it? Do they fit into your culture? Because it is a culture that you're starting, even if it's just you and someone else on your team. So there's angel groups in every city. 
that you can start looking to see if there might if that's the right fit for you. But warm introductions is the key, and you know use LinkedIn. Find out uh, who else that investor has invested in. You can talk to the founders of other companies they've invested in, see what that per- their experience has been like, and you know use your network to get warm introductions. What if your network doesn't have warm introductions? Well, then that's when people engage people like me who've interviewed a lot of investors and you know ask me to vet them and make sure their pitch is good. The investors trust me to make sure their pitch is good and know that I'm not going to introduce them to anybody unless they have a good pitch and have thought everything through. Uh, but they said, I only invest in education and, and uh, payment stuff. So I'm gonna, I only invest in healthcare. So I, you know, depending on what the pitch is, then I know exactly who to introduce people to. So investors have niches. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. I think that's important for my listeners to know because a lot of times they're like, oh, well, people just invest. Well, no, they have their niche just like you as your business have your Absolutely. targeted market. Yep. So you need to get to those right groups. Now, you're involved with an accelerator in upstate New York. How does that help somebody who is going down that road of building a business where they want to get investors in? Well, you have to apply to get accepted to an accelerator. You also have to apply to get accepted to an equity crowdfunding platform like DreamFund. I'm involved with both of those organizations. And once you apply, that means the people who are running them feel like your idea and the team is good enough that they can help you get funded. And an accelerator... You typically go work with them for three months, and at the end of those three months, there's a demo day, and they have about 200 investors in the room, and that's where I help everybody with their pitch so that they hopefully get some offers after that. I, I love that. And you have a, I didn't mention this, but you have a book out, too, called A Successful Pitch, Conversations Are Going from Invisible to Investable. I love that title, by the way. Thank you. I do a lot of yes, author I coaching. Yes, I my and- podcast into a book, so if anybody is thinking of, Starting a podcast as a way to generate weekly content without having to write a word, it's been fantastic. And from there, I've been able to get on television as the expert on how to ask for what you want and get a yes. So I love helping people who are thought leaders or own their own agency or have an online class figure out, you know what, if you need help getting your podcast produced and getting your thought leader message out, um, podcasting, turning into a book, getting on television is a, a journey that's changed my career. So I love to help other people who are interested in pursuing that, get that help. And you have a lot of resources up on your, your website as well. I, I do. Um, in fact, if your listeners text the word pitch to 66866, I will send them a free PDF of three mistakes to avoid when you're pitching anything. So just text the word pitch to 66866, and I'll get a free PDF from me on three mistakes to avoid when pitching. I, I love it. And you've got several other websites. You're on Facebook. You're on Twitter. Um, yes. My Twitter handle is at John underscore Livesey, and I'd be happy to you know respond to any direct messages people give me there. Perfect. I, I love that. I love that you're you know available and you want to help, and you know you've had such great success with all of your clients over the the years that you've been doing this work. What's one lesson you've learned? The one lesson I've learned is relationships are everything over and over and over again, right? And that people are people and they, when you give a pitch, they want you to be human and not robotic. So you still have to prepare, but you don't over-prepare so much that you're a robot. So at the end of the day, people invest and do business with people they trust, like, and know. 
You know, it always goes back to that, doesn't it? But yet, mm-hmm. so many people lose sight of that. Right, they think, oh, you're going to give me money because my idea is so great. And that's not really it. It's the jockey, not the horse. I, I think that's a, a perfect thing for everybody to remember. It's the jockey, not the horse. When I got my book deal, I hadn't written anything yet when my publisher, Morgan James, wanted to sign me. And they said, we love you. We love your idea for the book. We want to publish you, but do me a favor, just send us a book proposal so that we see that you you know the process and that you can actually write. So we can hire a ghostwriter just in case, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, they they invested in me from my five-minute pitch to them. Yes. So that's... It's true. It's so... <laughs> we're pitching all the time, as you said. Everything that we're doing, no matter what we're doing... Um, we are we are pitching. Last thought you'd like to share with my audience about anything that we've talked about or something we haven't talked about? Just remember that when you tell a story, you need to take people on the journey and have them visualize themselves in the story with you. That a story, a good story, has a meaning and you're solving a problem in the story. You know, the hero's journey that you're taking somebody on a, a, a journey and, and that there should be some conflict and some resolution and get people to, you know, sit up and, on the edge of their seat and wonder what's going to happen in that story, whether it's a story of yourself or a story of someone you've helped, you know, paint a picture and become the Picasso of pitches. Can you share an example of becoming a Picasso of pitches? Sure. Uh, one, of my, one of the things I do with my clients is I have them write down their moments of certainty you know, to improve their confidence. And one client said, well, I was born in South America, but I grew up in the Netherlands. And when I turned 18, my parents took me back to South America and dropped me off naked in the Amazon jungle to survive for two weeks because in my culture, that's a rite of passage into manhood. I said, wow, Martin, that gives me goosebumps. I I have them right now. Yeah. I said, what did you learn in the Amazon jungle? Well, I learned how to focus and pivot and persevere. I said, great. We're going to take those lessons from the Amazon jungle to the concrete jungle of being an entrepreneur. And when he had that practiced, he won a pitch contest and got funded because the investors said, we're going to give the guy money that survived the Amazon jungle because he'll be able to survive anything that happens in the business world. So that's a really short story, but it has some really great elements in it. The first one is exposition, who, what, where, when, right? If he, I said, Martin, if you don't say that that's a rite of passage in your culture and demandhood, it sounds like child abuse to be dropped off naked. So you need to paint that picture of where you are and what's happening. Then the problem is, obviously, he's naked. The solution is he learns life lessons. And then the resolution is he wins a pitch contest. So every story takes you on a, a, a journey like that. All right. So everybody start thinking about what is your Amazon jungle story. It does not have to be quite so extreme as that. But you've got a story. What is it? If you need help, reach out to John Livesey. John, once again, how do they find you? At John underscore uh, Livesey, L-I-V is in Victor, E-S-A-Y on Twitter, or just my website, JohnLivesey.com. I love it. And uh, they can get a free PDF from you by sending texting, texting pitch. the word pitch to 66866. All right, everybody. I highly, I highly recommend John's uh, podcast, The Successful Pitch. He's got his great book, The Successful Pitch, Conversations on Going from Invisible to Investable. John, thanks so much for being here with me today. And we definitely have to do some more stuff together because I love what you're talking about and how you're helping people in the world. (laughs) Thanks, Laura. You're a great host. It's been a pleasure being on your show. Thanks so much. All right, everybody. It's not always easy to ask the right questions, but 
All you have to do is sit back and, and say to yourself, what am I not asking? What do I need to know? Who do I need to ask some questions of? And if you need some help with that, reach out to me, Laura, at laurasteward.com. And remember, most of all, everybody, I truly, truly believe this. The right questions can change your life. So what are you asking today? Have a great day, everyone. And we'll be back next week with more on It's All About the Questions. You've been listening to It's All About the Questions, starring Laura Stewart. Connect with Laura at itsallaboutthequestions.com and download a free workbook that will help you ask better questions starting today. 